Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. And the notes inside your bulletin, I know, will be a help to you here along the way. I hope you had a good time last week. Wasn't that amazing? Very weak response, may I say. I uh, just visited the kids' classrooms, as I do each Sunday morning, with a cup of snow uh, stored in the freezer. It's now a, a cup of ice, but they thought that was pretty amazing that I've kept a souvenir. And indeed, good time, good time. You heard a moment ago that our Biblical Counseling Weekend is about a month away. We, a, that's a seminar that we do every year on some topic related to uh, being a person, being a human, and living in this world before God. And so this year, as you have there in your bulletin, I know our topic is fear. And we'll talk about that in a whole lot of different categories, uh, good fear, bad fear, when's it a problem, and all, all kinds of things will get to be uh, ours that weekend. We are using as a key text uh, a book by Ed Welch called Running Scared, the subtitle of which is our title, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. And today, as we come toward our text in Hebrews 4, I want to remind you of a story from the Old Testament that contains a number of the same themes, and I think will lead us effectively to a text and a sermon entitled, God Gives Four Kinds of Rest. In 1 Kings 19, you find the story of Elijah, one of the prophets of God in the Old Testament, and He had had quite a time in the preceding chapter, uh, the story of the prophets of Baal, if you remember the the moment of of confrontation there with these false prophets and how it all ended up. Well, as you come to chapter 19, uh, the evil queen, Jezebel, of course, got a hold of Elijah and said, I'm coming for you. I will have your head, so to speak. And Elijah, the text says, was scared. He was frightened, and nothing wrong with that, of course. He was frightened, and he ran. And the text is so full of humanity. I find myself going there often, both to reassure my own self and to care for others. But Elijah was scared, and he ran. He ran physically. Sometimes we run other ways, but he ran physically. He did. And uh, man, utterly spent. Uh, I picture him collapsing under a little scrub tree, and said, oh, Lord, just, just take my life. I'm done. I've, I've, I've run the race. I'm out, out of gas, utterly spent. And I, I, I identify with that, that place of weariness. Uh, many these days, it seems, are in a place of weariness, of soul and of body and emotion. And that's where Elijah was. And as you read the account, God met him there and did not rebuke him for being worn out. He gave him sleep. He gave him food. He gave him a blessed time out. Let him sleep and then fed him again. This is great. You get a cruise ship for that. Um, But God cared for him. Now, there's more to that story, of course. But the, the idea of God giving rest runs through the Bible. And this morning, it's in our text as well. Interestingly, in the book of Hebrews, there are 11 references to the English word rest. Nine of them 
are in our text today. The other two are in the latter part of chapter 3. So all packaged together, if you read through the book of Hebrews, right in this section, you cannot help but notice the idea of rest. And so today, I I would like for us to, to think together about that. What does it mean what is this rest that God gives? And it's, it's used in a variety of ways. But I know that all of us at some place or another need at least one of these kinds of rest. Uh, hopefully it's not just physical rest uh, that you need this morning, and so then you end up in a nap. But that'll be later today as we practice the scriptures. Uh, we're going to pray, and let's, let's ask God to care for us here. Father, I thank you so much for your word and how it speaks to us as humans living before you uh, in a world that is, is, seems to be always full of stress and challenge and difficulty, but maybe even now a bit more so. And I, I thank you for your people, those gathered here, those listening from elsewhere, even around the world. At times we are physically tired, certainly, but in these days also, We find ourselves spiritually tired and emotionally tired, relationally tired, and oh, so much. And our Father, I I thank you for this text, grappling with this topic and providing encouragement, and as we're going to see today, appropriate warning that we would, in salvation, truly trust, that is, rest ourselves in Christ by believing in him for salvation. So, Father, would you help us today? to hear the word of God and to love it and then respond to it in faith. So we invite your help now in Jesus' name, amen. So you look at your sermon notes, as always, there are a few comments of reminder, places we have been. I always urge you to take a look at those. You'll remember the last few weeks and where we've been. There's also a little paragraph about today and what it is we're going to do. But Hebrews 4, 1 to 13 is our text, and I'm going to begin by reading the two key verses from last week as well, specifically chapter 3, 12 and 13. Both of those uh, contain a command that, and together formed the hub of of our text last week. But it will help us as we go where we're going to go today. So Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, and then into chapter 4 as we read God's word together. The writer says this, "'Take care, brothers.'" lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then to chapter 4, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, 
and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Wow. All right. There we have it. We're going to look at most of chapter of chapter four then today, these 13 verses. Now, if you look at your study notes with me for a moment, I want you to see that the, the, the path that I want to walk with you today, all right? So I want to begin with a few comments on the first couple of verses just to get us going in the text. And then I'm going to step out of the immediate text into a section that I gave in a parenthetical phrase, systematic theology. I want to step out, maybe bigger picture for a moment, and talk about four kinds of rest that God gives throughout Scripture, because they're reflected in this text. And I think stepping back and looking at it a little differently will help us as we return then in that third section uh, to kind of surf through the text again under the heading, Enter God's Rest Through Saving Faith in Our Great Savior, which I think captures all 13 verses in terms of theme. So a couple comments then on verses 1, 2, and the first line of verse 3. Uh, in all of our translations, I believe, uh, the, the phrase, let us fear, uh, the NIV has it just a little different, but stands alone in doing so. The, interestingly, the writer begins with this word. In the original uh, text, as the writer gave it to us, again, there's different translations from language to language. People often rearrange things. And that's a long conversation we won't step on today. But the text actually begins with the word fear. Fear, therefore. That's the order in the text, as the writer originally gave it. It's not a command form, but it's a call. It's a continuing call to uh, the, the warnings that we have already seen in the text. And folks, you're going to hear this today. You are. If you pay attention at all, let me say, there is a warning in the text that you would check your heart before God. That's the outcome of that warning, that you would check your heart before God. In the words of the Apostle Paul, at the very end there, you'll see I quote 2 Corinthians thirteen five: examine yourselves, see if you're in the faith. Am I trusting Christ as my Savior from sin today? That would be an appropriate question for you to be mulling over today. Or am I one that is mentioned here categorically in the first few verses as one who hears and hears and hears and does not respond with saving faith. And the warning of the text is, see, please, that that doesn't describe you. One who hears and hears 
and hears and doesn't respond in saving faith. So uh, that, I think, is a warning that I want you to, to, to know about. Therefore, fear is the way the text begins. The urgency of nurturing your faith, this urgency continues. Now, if you look with me, the text says, therefore, let the promise of entering his rest. Well, the promise of entering his rest still stands. There you go, this rest theme, of which we'll speak in a minute. Let us fear, lest any of you, those who are hearing lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. You say, man, I don't want to do that. Failing to reach this place of rest, which we have not described yet, I don't want, I don't want to do that. For good news came to us just like to them. The them, of course, you remember from last week, if you were with us, they, the, the writer is referring to, oh boy, Old Testament group of people in the wilderness. Oh, we saw this in Exodus. We saw it in Numbers. That Those who, who God led out of Egypt uh, and spent that time in the wilderness, how many of them did not respond in faith. They didn't believe God could was good and didn't believe he could deliver on his promises. And there's, that's who the them is here. Good news came to, to us just as to them. But the message, now watch this, and this is part of how I understand this text. The good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why not? because they were not united by faith with those who listened, we who have believed enter that rest. And that's, again, this is key to understanding the text. I believe he is separating those who hear and believe from those who just hear and don't respond in saving faith. And folks, I want to be as clear as possible. Nobody gets to heaven because they went to church regularly. Right? You can be raised in a church-going family, memorize all kinds of things from a Bible, um, and not end up in God's heaven because your going and hearing was not united with saving faith, regenerating faith that saves your soul because you're trusting Christ and him alone. You see, this text is all about drawing a difference between those who hear and believe and those who only hear. And the warning again to to all of us who hear, please be among those who hear and believe. All right? Now, that, I believe, is how this text begins. It warns us away, as I have in front of you here, it warns us away from a casual approach to faith. And by casual, I mean the the check-the-box attitude. And you know what I'm talking about. If you've been raised in church circles at all, or you've heard these things from others, perhaps I walked walked an aisle uh, in a crusade. Wonderful to do. You can be genuinely saved walking an aisle. You can also walk an aisle and not be genuinely saved. Mark a little box, raised my hand in Sunday school, uh, went to VBS, went to something, checked a box, filled out a comment card. You can do all of those things and never be born again. That is, if you do those things apart from saving faith. And this text is intending to warn us about this, all right? So if you hear a little bit of an edge, it's intended from from the word of God. Now, I want to step then to this next section under the heading, God gives four kinds of rest, because you noticed as I read this, as you looked at it, rest, rest, rest. It's used in different ways about different things. Promised land, is that what you mean? Do you mean something more than promised land? Or are you referring to uh, Sabbath? Or what do you mean in chapter 4, verse 4, where God rested? He's not entering the promised land. What does he mean here about rest? 
So I want to I just give you four categories of rest, all of which are addressed in the Bible. So here you go. First of all, the Bible speaks of God's gifts of rest. Under this heading would be Sabbaths, uh, other holy days in the Old Testament, and I would suggest our daily need for sleep. It shows up uh, on your study notes a lot, this daily need for sleep, I think is a wonderful gift from God. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, What a wonderful thing. God has built that into us for a reason. God could have built us to not need, well, sleep at all. Wouldn't that be, some of you think that'd be wonderful. But listen, it's not just about rest. You know what you're doing when you lay down at night, you lie down at night, I know. Uh, What you're doing is you are ceasing from your works and you are trusting God to handle it all. It's wonderful practice. I can do no more today. I'm tired. I'm out. Lord, you're going to have to handle it now because I'm not here to help you. Is often the way it comes across. And God says, okay, I'll take care of it overnight. Uh, Rest is a wonderful practice. And I think God gives us that need with a regularity so that we will have to daily think about this. I need to cease from my works and rest myself again in God's mighty arms. Sabbath. Now, I've given you several texts here. Genesis 2, uh, 1, 2, and 3. This is the text where God has finished his work of creative activity, Genesis 1, and we read, and God rested on the seventh day. Now, what did it mean that God rested? Did God quit doing anything? Well, no, his sustaining power was still at work. He was still overseeing his creation, but he, he ceased from that creative activity and begin a pattern that I believe exists in creation today. By the way, if you ignore the pattern that God placed you in as a human in this world of a need for Sabbath, a need for rest, we'll talk about what day it is and how that works in a minute, but if you ignore that, you do so to your own peril. We, are, we live in a world where there's a need for rejuvenation and rest, and you can ignore it for a while and just keep going, but not, not good for your soul or your body. God built rhythms of Sabbath into this world, and I think we're wise to to pay attention to that. So Genesis 2, 1 to 3, God ceased his creative activity. It's called out in the text. Exodus 16, 23, again, these are references I'm giving you on your study notes that uh, if you're watching online, you can find on our website. Exodus 16, 23 is the text on manna and how God is saying on Sabbath, uh, there will be no manna because on day six, I want you to collect everything you need. I will provide for you so that you can rest. So the the prohibition from gathering manna on the seventh day was not a mean prohibition. It was a gift. God was going to provide. He was going to give them what they needed on the sixth day so that they had enough and they were to rest. Uh, Chapter 23, again, the call to Sabbath, which, by the way, listen, God's gift of Sabbath was supposed to be received as a gift. It was not a mean thing. God wasn't shaking his finger at them and saying, now knock it off. Here's a mean rule and you're just going to have to, you know. No, no, it was a gift. It was God saying, you've worked six days. Think of an agrarian society, plowing fields and working all kinds of stuff. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm calling you one day a week to rest before me, to reflect on bigger things than the wheat and the corn and the cows, and rest be rejuvenated with your family. Rest in my presence. It was supposed to be a gift. Those of you with children, 
young children, you know what it's like when a kid needs a nap and they don't want one? I know it's miserable for all of you, and as a good parent, you come along eventually and say, look, you're going to bed. Don't you do this? Mercifully to all of you. Kids going, no, I don't want to go to bed, and you know they need a nap. And uh, then you reflect, of course, as you make said child take a nap, and they wake up hopefully in a better mood. You think, I wish somebody would do this for me. Every day at about this time, somebody would just shut the computer down or whatever it is you do and say, you have to take a nap now. And you might go, oh, come on, I have work to do. But you wouldn't say that for long. You'd say, wonderful, siesta time. Thank you, Lord. I get an afternoon break to, to sleep. God intended Sabbath to be a gift. Rest. It was supposed to be a present, to be gratefully received. So you should do that too, by the way. As God provides breaks, you should enjoy them fully and say, thank you, Lord, and rest your body and your soul. We cease from our work and we trust ourselves to God's care. Chapter 31, the other reference I'm giving you here, is a paragraph in which God very specifically says, this is a covenant between me and the nation of Israel, which I do believe Sabbath, as it was practiced in the Old Testament, was specific to Israel. And you can read that text and see where I get that. Um, but I think there was a specific ap- application to the nation of Israel in terms of, of covenant. And you can look at that as I would encourage you to do. God's gifts of rest. There are many in the Old Testament. Second category, God's gift of salvation. This is a category uh, also of rest. As we think about this, when we trust Christ as, we, as, as our Savior, we cease from trusting our works and we trust Christ and him alone. I think that's hinted at at least in verse 10, uh, other texts in the New Testament would do that as well. But when you trust Christ as your Savior, we, we correctly rest, we cease from trusting our works to earn favor with God, and we rest, that is, trust, we trust Christ in him alone. So I would propose that when you trust Christ as your Savior, in a sense, you are entering into a Sabbath, Sabbath position. More on that in just a couple of minutes. As I suggest to you, Christians, I'll I'll say it right now, I'll say it again later. I believe Christians live in Sabbath every day. So when people ask me, uh, do you guys keep Sabbath? My answer is yes, I have seven of them. Uh, Every day is a Sabbath. Now, I do think the principle of rest still applies, and you need to have a day of rest. For me, it isn't Sunday. Uh, For me, it's Monday. Monday is, is like a Sabbath for me because it's supposed to be a day of some kind of rest. Um, But you need one. You need a day for you that is rest. Uh, But for a Christian, when you've trusted Christ as your Savior, we live in Sabbath every day. Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. I do not believe that we got rid of Sabbath. I believe Christ fulfilled it. There's a big difference. So if you ever end up in that debate about whether, you know, what do you do about Sabbath in your church? Well, actually, because of Jesus, we live there every day. We get seven of them. I'm sorry you only get one. We get seven every day. I rest, I rest my weary soul in him, and I trust him. So I I do believe that Christ fulfills Sabbath. Christ is my Sabbath rest. Okay, third, here we go, moving along. God's gift of daily rest. This is the third category of rest in the Bible. I give you Psalm 37. Uh, verse 7, where I think the NAS more specifically uses the term rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Um, rest, rest. This is not simply, now watch this. This is a theological phrase I hope you'll think over, please. Uh, this is not simply the rest he gives. It is also the rest he enjoys. Can you think about that with me? 
What do I mean by that? I think this is in our text. God is not a harried, fretful God. He is not out of breath. We invented that. Okay? Heaven is not a frenzied place. If you were to take a look right now, in, it, it, you know, right into the, the, the throne room of heaven, I do not believe you'd find angels rushing around in a sense of urgency and stress. Like, oh no, what's going to happen next? No, God is sovereign. He is seated on the throne, for goodness sakes, and heaven is a place of rest, not worry and stress. God is not, let's just say, using human terms, getting up in the morning and saying, oh no, what shall I do? He is not looking at the world saying, is this about out of my control? It is not about out of his control. It is well in his care. Heaven is not a worried place. It is not a stress-filled place. It is not a place of frenzy. So when when I enjoy God's rest, I am enjoying the rest he gives, but I am also saying, oh, Lord, help me to enjoy that place. Help me to live today with a, the rest that belongs in heaven, help it to be in my soul too. I ask you under study notes or the discussion, do you know somebody who's busy? They're busy, but there is a sense of rest about them. This isn't about doing nothing. You can be a very, very busy person and be busy with rest in your soul. And I think that's God's call. I think that's Psalm 37 Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. I don't think that just means your devotions in the morning. I think it's the way God calls us to live our day. Okay? You want to think about that a little bit? I hope so. I hope, I hope you, we, we together uh, learn to live in his rest. And then fourth, God's gift of eternal rest in his eternal home. Uh, the true promised land, a place where we cease from our labor here, and enjoy his presence. And 2 Corinthians 5, of course, speaks of, of this among many other texts. Often if you go through cemeteries of old, when people put meaningful things on headstones, <clears throat> you will see the phrase, entered into rest. And it's this point of theology that they're capturing. Some of you uh, know the old song, I am bound for the, how to go? Promised land, yeah, you know it. I am bound for the promised land, uh, which, of course, plays on the Old Testament theme of the people of Israel journeying to the promised land. The promised land, in that sense, is, is a picture of the ultimate promised land, isn't it? The presence of God, uh, a place that you know the, the, the geographical location here could never match. So I'm, I'm saying this. In the Bible, rest appears from beginning to end. God entered rest right after creation, Genesis 2, and all the way through the Bible, different kinds of rest. Here are four of them uh, that show up all the way through the biblical text. Now I want to come back to this text, Hebrews 4, a place where rest shows up a lot. And let's kind of work through it again. On the notes that I have in front of you, then I've returned to verses 1 and 2 uh, to remember again, there is a difference between merely hearing and hearing with faith. I believe those who hear with faith in that salvation sense are entering into God's rest. Uh, That's verse 3. We who have believed enter that rest. I think that's what that has in mind. It's it's entering that rest where I cease from my labors and I rest my soul in a Savior who died for me. So there's a difference. It's not enough to know the words of the gospel. I've given you three texts here 
that perhaps for your community groups, and again, dozens and dozens of you, more now than ever before, are in community groups. Here are three texts you might read on this topic. And they, they are, in a sense, warnings in each case that in Matthew 7 uh, those who would say, Lord, Lord, on that final day, look at all the stuff we did for you. And God says at that last moment, I never knew you. Oh, they were busy, all right. Oh, they were busy in religion, but never truly saving faith. Uh, Matthew 7, it's a sobering little paragraph. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing about the gospel. And he has a very interesting phrase in there. Uh, he talks about believing in vain, unless you believed in vain. You think, man, what is that? What is that? I sure don't want to do that. I don't want to believe in vain. The idea behind the in vain is without results. That is without true salvation, without regeneration. I believed. We would use air quotes for that today. I went through the motions. Somebody pressured me. Um, you know, somebody leaned on me. Come on, pray the prayer. And I said, fine. Okay. Will it get you off my back? There, I prayed the prayer. Am I, am I in? Did you mean it? Sure. I don't want, I mean, I want to go to heaven. Okay, done. Check. Hold on. Was there a transaction of faith in this moment? Was there a genuineness of, of response? Or was there a pressure-filled moment where you just did something to get somebody off your back? What was that? Wow. Oh, Lord, have I responded to you with saving faith? The question, of course, I would want you to pursue is not, did I get it right 25 years ago or whatever the case? What did I mean in third grade when they had everybody raise their hand? Maybe I didn't get it right. You know what? I don't know what happened in third grade. I want to know if you're trusting Christ today. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Um, summer camp, did I, did I pray? The, I don't know. I wasn't there for you. I was at mine. I think I prayed a prayer every year just to cover all the bases. Um, <laughs> until the day that I realized the key issue isn't whether I prayed it right but where I stand with God today. And then I quit trying to clean up what I did when I was a kid. Did I get it right? I don't know anymore. I don't know what I said, but I know this. I'm trusting Christ as my Savior today, and I belong to him. That I know, because I know where I'm at today. Well, there's a difference between hearing, merely hearing, and hearing with faith. So verse 3 then, I'm saying to you on your study notes, they're entering God's rest in that context is a result of true saving faith, gener regeneration. We who have believed enter that rest. And then he contrasts that. As I said, as I swore in my bath, my wrath, they shall not. Who is the they? It's those people who did not respond in saving faith. They shall not enter my rest. And of course, my rest, then he contrasts. His works were finished from the beginning of the world, from the foundation of the world. Now, verse 4, of course, is a reference to God's rest as he completed creation. So we're, we're massaging all the different elements of rest. Again, in this passage, he says, they shall not enter my rest, referring to, to Psalm 95, as quoted in chapter 3, verse 11, of course. There's a warning. There's a warning here. I hope you're hearing it. There's, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Wow, the warning is repeated. Now, in, starting in verse 6, he's, he's, he's going to be pressing on another theological issue. It's part of this. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, which I would suggest that disobedience, the key issue is unbelief. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, 
do not harden your hearts. Okay, watch this now. Here's, here's, I think, what that, that phrase is about. In the Old Testament, God was saying to his people, enter my rest. And people right away were thinking, promised land. Promised land. I want to enter God's rest. It's the promised land. And here he's saying, uh, it was, there was always something more in mind. God had something more in mind when he said, enter my rest. It wasn't just about the promised land, because David, years after the whole promised land incident, years later, David said, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, you still need to enter his rest. And if entering his rest meant the promised land, how come hundreds of years later, David was still saying, enter his rest? What did God have in mind? And the writer here is saying, I'll tell you what it was. It was a response of faith. That's what it was. When you respond in saving faith, you do enter that rest. That was the idea all along. Respond in faith, respond in faith. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is emphasized again in verse 8. If Joshua had given them rest, that is, he's the one who led them into the promised land. If that was it, God would not have said anything about another day later. So therefore, verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest. And he uses a different word here. There remains a Shabbat, Sabbath for the people of God. God had something else in mind for whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. I think verse 10 draws, the, draws it together. When you trust Christ as your savior, that is, the, that is the ultimate, so to speak, in entering his rest. You trust Christ. I cease from trusting my works. And friend, listen, if you are thinking, if you are thinking that you're going to get into heaven someday because you're such a good person, to that degree that you think that, even if it's 5 or 10%, to that degree you are trusting your works rather than ceasing from trusting your works and trusting Christ and him alone as your Savior from, from sin. It is not a 90-10 proposition. 90% Jesus, 10% you being so almighty nice. Okay? It's not. It's not 80-20, 70-30, 50-50. It is 100% Christ and his righteousness. It is none of yours. Zero of your righteousness gets you into God's heaven. Okay? Can we be clear on this? All right? No. When I understand that, and I say it's Christ in him alone, and I believe that, that is saving faith. At any moment when I'm saying, well, I believe Jesus died, certainly, and I work really hard to be good enough for heaven, hold on. At that moment, I, I, would, I would venture to say, you are trusting something in your goodness. You're giving to good causes, which you should do, but not to get you into heaven. You're going to church, which you should do, but not to get you into heaven. Christ and his righteousness alone is what saves you hear this? You believe it? Oh, I hope so. Oh, I hope so. That's where this whole text is going, playing on the rest theme and saying, please enter his rest. That is, verse 3, we who have believed do enter that rest. So I have here on your study notes, God still calls us to enter his rest. He does. By trusting Christ as our Savior, indeed, by enjoying his regular rest and provision of gifts from him, these daily, daily things as we've delineated those, ultimately resting in his presence, pictured by Sabbath laws. And I say again, Christians live in Sabbath every day as we rest in him. I believe in Christ. When we trust him, we fulfill Sabbath because Christ is our Sabbath. 
Let us therefore, then, verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. What is that? Strive how? Do you mean, like, work to earn something? No, this this isn't it. That is not the call of Scripture. Pursue Christ daily. Trust him fully for daily grace. Rest your weary soul in him. It's, it's striving to enter that rest, and here's what it looks like. It's a matter of you standing before God and saying, Oh God, examine my heart and help me to do the same, to make sure that I stand today in faith, trusting Christ and him alone. So be careful to make sure that that is a description of you. That, I believe, is the striving. And of course, true gener- regeneration is followed by some elements of obedience and fighting against sin Absolutely. If those things are missing, it is right that you would say, am I I born again? Am I born again? Those things are evidence of faith. They are not not the the, the cause of it, getting to heaven, okay? All of this, and I think this is the point down in verses 12 and 13, all of this takes place before the all-seeing eye of our gracious and discerning God who knows the difference between a believing heart and an unbelieving heart. God God is never lost at knowing who belongs to him. Paul says to Timothy, right? The Lord knows those who are his. And, second part of that verse, let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. The Lord knows those who are his. And if if you belong to him, live like it. Live like it, not to earn it. But if you belong to him, live like it, for goodness sakes. Mm, The call of God. I want to look with you at those two elements of response. They are different from one another, both fitting today. One, of course, is a call to all of us who are living in a day of worry and hurry, fear and anxiety, and I say this to all of us, rest your soul in him. Rest your soul in a weary, your weary soul in a faithful savior. Uh, some years ago, I picked up a CD from Sovereign Grace Ministries called Come Weary Saints. I love that CD. It's a call to saints, people who know Jesus, who at times are weary. I don't mean you need a nap, but you probably do that too. Where there's a weariness of soul, come weary saints, hide away in the love of Jesus. The call for a believer to rest your weary soul in him. Good music helps in this. And that's one thing God has used to help this weary soul to keep on. So good music is a help to me. And this, this first bullet point, then, is a call to you. If that weariness of soul is yours, it's a call for us to come to him. Come with others. Maybe, maybe walk alongside others. But come. Come to him. And then the second bullet point there, very different is a call for you, according to to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Yes, in fact, pay attention. Ask yourself, am I trusting Christ in him alone as my Savior from sin? Ask yourself that today, would you please? And if there is any question or doubt, then fix it today as God moves your heart. God, I do believe Jesus died for me. I do believe it is none of me. It is all of Christ. And if there's any doubt that you ever said it right in the years gone by, forget it and pray it now. Do it now. Settle it with him today. It's not about third grade or whatever grade it was when you did something. 
Uh, I'm just saying, if there's any doubt, did I get it right? I don't know. But get it right now. Get it right today. Christ, I trust you as my Savior from sin. That's where I stand today. And I would then say to you that last line, and if you are truly trusting Christ is your Savior from sin, then rejoice in knowing, I put it in bold and italics, knowing that you belong to him for time and eternity. Can I know that I'm on my way to heaven? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm sad for believers who say, well, you're never really sure. Well, what are you talking about? Trust Christ in him alone, and you're heaven-bound. Indeed, you are. Indeed, you are. I'd love for us to stand, and we want to take a moment or two to pray and examine our own hearts, and I hope you'll, enjoy, you'll join me in doing both of those. But pray with me, if you would, please. Father, I know that in this room and in our broader listening audience, there are many who are are just tired. This is indeed right now a weary world. It always is, but maybe even more so right now. For many, there is a, a weariness of soul. There is a fearfulness. There is an anxiety. There is a heavy load that people carry. There is a sense of disquiet. Our Father, we, oh, many times we need others to walk with us. Sometimes we need to talk it through, I know. All of that, though, before you, because you are the only one who ultimately can grant that peace of life and heart that we so desperately need. And I pray that you would grant that and be that for your people today. And then, likewise, our Father, the call of Scripture to examine ourselves, to see if we are in the faith, I pray that even now in this room, and our broader listening audience, that each would just pause before you to say, am I trusting Christ now, trusting Christ in him alone? Is there evidence of this in my life? As Paul would say, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. And Father, where there are doubts from any, I pray that that would be resolved by the crying out of a heart before you as enabled by the Spirit of God. To say, yes, God, I do believe that Christ, Christ alone is my Savior from sin, not my good works. Christ in his righteousness, I put all my hope in him. Father, do that great work that is yours to do as our hearts respond to you in faith. Father, give reassurance, assurance to those who doubt, who are truly born again, truly saved. Give them assurance from your word that they are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time and indeed in that that they would rejoice. I thank you for these dear people. Encourage each of us today as we walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.